Do you want to bring your mouse over? Oh yeah, and turn this around so I can see it. Is it? You're catching all this amazing gold pre-show. Yeah, man, this is it. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Filling in the Gaps. I'm Justin. And I'm Darren. And today, we are going to discuss actually two games. The first of which is Dr. Langeskov, the Tiger, and the Terribly Cursed Emerald, the Whirlwind Heist a title that is almost longer than the game itself. It is only about 15 minutes, though I would say there's a fair amount of replay value in the fact that it is a great comedy. It's free, so it's kind of hard to argue against that. has very positive ratings. Dev publisher is Crows, Crows, Crows. The Steam description is a 15-minute heist directed by William Pugh, in parentheses, The Stanley Parable, Slip into the soft-soled shoes of the mastermind responsible for the greatest heist. Oh god, I can't take this anymore. I'm joining the strike. Good luck with the Steam description. (laughs) Which ties very, very well into the story once we get into that. To start off with this one, would you recommend this one? Yeah, definitely. I like this game a lot. I think at free, it's a no-brainer. Give it a try. Yeah. The other game we're going to talk about is The Beginner's Guide. Why we're doing these two together is both of the main people behind these were behind the Stanley Parable, which we've talked about before, and we were both really big fans of. The Beginner's Guide is a bit pricey. It's 10 bucks, yeah. Yeah. For a game that even in the description says it's an hour and a half, that's that's kind of a lot. I mean, it depends on how you look at it. This versus, say, a graphic novel, you know, a trade. It depends on what you're looking at. If you're looking at this as this amazing story that you could go through a couple times, it's kind of worth it. But honestly, I would say wait for it on sale. It does often go on sale for about $3. It does have very positive reviews, though, with over 11,000 lifetime. It's from 2015. Like I said, it's about one and a half hours. Uh, Even my first playthrough was 1.6 on Steam. So that seems about right. There's not a lot of replay value in the fact of finding new things, but I think that the story itself is worth playing through a couple times. On the reviews, most of the negatives that I see reflect the fact that it's not a game, traditionally speaking, which I think is a fair criticism. I think if people are expecting a game, that's not quite what they're getting. I would more sell this as an interactive story than a game. Yeah, fair point. But at the same time, I think, without getting into spoilers, the game goes through a lot of discussion about a game developer through the games. And I just don't think that that works as well in any other format. I think this is one of those times where telling this story via game is the best way. And I just can't imagine it working this well in any other medium. And so... For that, I would say this game is an experience. I think it's worth playing, but $10, I mean, for us, we're cheap. That seems a bit steep. Too much. I'd wait for it on sale. And with that, I think think we're ready to get into it. Yeah. So, listeners, if you have not played Dr. Langeskov, I would recommend jumping in and doing that. That's free and will take you about 15 minutes. It's also very 
small as far as memory, so it won't take you long to load up either. I would probably say the same thing about the beginner's guide. If you can get it for three bucks, I think it's worth it. Give it a try and then come back. But for those of you who have played, let's go to the spoiler section. So let's jump into Dr. Langeskov first. The game that I could never pronounce. What a great narrator. I don't know Simon Amstel. Do you? Simon Amstel was the... He was brought in to host Nevermind the Buzzcocks, which was like a music comedy trivia show. And he was, in my opinion, the best host. He was absolutely fantastic. I love Simon Amstel. He's so funny. Uh, he did a sitcom, I think, called Mother, uh, or like something like Living with Grandma. Grandma? What was it called? Yeah, edit that in. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, he his never mind, never mind the Buzzcocks. He was class, man, absolute class. I love the guy. He's so dry and just his delivery on every line is awesome in this game as well. He's just playing himself. It's fantastic. This whole game hints at a game that we'll never actually get to play, which is <laughs> brilliant. But even within the loading screen, it starts to give you hints. About the game that you'll never actually get to yeah, play. Yeah, yeah, like to crouch, do or like yeah. use air vents to escape guards, <laughs> which you'll never get never to do. see. It's kind of a shame. I would love to see what they could do with an actual fifteen-minute heist game. Yeah, of this caliber with a tiger as well. Yeah. <laughs> the game begins with us backstage of the game because apparently another player has loaded up at exactly the same time, and thus we can't play just yet. But you don't even realize it at first because what they've done is they've made the screen glitch out, go staticky, and then it comes back and it looks like a menu screen, but it's slightly off. Yeah. And the first time I played, I didn't realize what was going on. I was just listening to, well, Simon Amstel going on. And then after a while, I moved the control and went, oh, actually, I'm playing the game now. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. I like that. It's a brilliant start to the game. There's a ton of things to interact with right at the beginning. There is a soda machine, some coins, a resignation letter. Yeah. There are strike signs. There's also a cassette player, but let's get to that later. Yeah, or not at all. <laughs> As we go through, we ring the doorbell and the narrator answers and says, Oh, can you wait a minute? And explains the whole situation about there being somebody else in the game. And then invites us in. And then says, oh, I need to get a hold of somebody in like the publicity department. Which happens to be exactly where we are. So when the phone rings and we go to pick it up. And they've not given us a way to properly pick it up. So it just picks up and then drops immediately. Yeah. And then he kind of realizes what's going on. And then we move on. Because he says, actually, you could help us. So the main point of this game is us having to help make the game happen as though it is a stage play. Yeah, that that part where you hang up the phone is very Portal 2. Like, in the beginning, when you go through that training bit, where he's like, okay, what's he have to do? Press space to do that. He's like, okay, what you're doing there is jumping. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is very much like that here. Uh, can you just pick up the phone? Yeah. And it just, it just, <laughs> the receiver just picks up and drops. There's a great bit later on when you have to do that again. Multiple times, yeah. And he goes, do you, do you just not know how to use a phone? <laughs> <laughs> you also get to go, once you start helping out, you go into a back room and there's a bunch of switches and he says, can you turn on the lights? So I turn on the desk light 
There's another switch for secondary interruptions, I think. Mm. And he goes, why'd you turn that on? Do you even know what it is? And there's the lasers, lasers which of yeah. course I turn on. Yep. We're led into the weather room, which is dripping and kind of a mess. We have to turn on the rain and then hit the thunder button. It's just all brilliantly comic, the idea that in a video game there are these people having to make sure everything happens every time and being aware of it. It's the type of thing that I suppose really does happen in a minor way in like escape rooms. Or like a stage play. Yeah. And I imagine things, there must be haunted houses and things where they would have to do this. But the idea that somebody would have to do this for a whole video game. For every player. (laughs) It's a bit insane. We're basically led upstairs. There's this whole bit with the numbers. There's the part with the tiger where we have to release it and then call it back. How long did you wait before you called it back? I don't know. uh, Probably about 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Well. Double value for the game. You would think that if you just let the tiger go for a long time, it would speed up the chance for you to get into yeah. the game. <laughs> well, the previous player's done now. It's time for you to get in. Yeah. But the whole thing leads up to basically you causing this chaos with this huge number pad, and then you're done, and it's your turn to play. You step in, and it's done. A tiger kills you. No. Doesn't it? That's pretty much what I thought. Because the tiger is sound is like right there on top of you almost at the end. Uh, well, it could be. I don't think that's what happens though. It's faint and it gets louder and louder and louder until it, it just goes, well, it's already black, but I mean, it just cuts out as soon as like, like the tiger's really noisy. It's like it's in your ear. That's what I guess. You just step into that room and the tiger kills you and you're done. Is this? I don't remember that at all. I heard a lot of the narrator talking about oh, no, it's happened again, and talking about the next person. No, no, the the tiger sound is definitely there, and it's definitely... I don't think so, because there's a whole bunch more of directions from the narrator to the next player who got stuck in the background. So, I I don't know. I don't think it really is. This is not a hill I want to die on. (laughs) (laughs) I I will let you have that. I don't care. Uh, Let's talk quickly about the cassettes, though, because... This is a problem. I think the cassettes are a real problem. Last night when I was playing it again, just to refresh myself, this is the first time I actually picked up the cassette player and made it work the proper way. Me too. When I played it the first time, I didn't do this, and I don't know why I didn't. Me neither. I wonder if it's been added or if it's something you've got to complete the game once to like enable for your second playthrough or something like that, maybe? I would hope so, actually, because the problem is when you're playing... Because you can't hear the story. Exactly. When you're playing the cassettes, it talks right over the narrator, so you have no idea what's going on. That'd be a disaster. So I hope that that is the reason. I hope that the first time you play through, it's just not even available or it doesn't work, because otherwise that would ruin the game. Yeah. There are... I found six of them. I don't know how many. I found pencils one, two, and three, and yeah, probably six, yeah. The very first one, the parrot one, is moderately funny. I thought that was okay. The planet auditions where Terry is trying to play cucumber chased by, like, gardeners or something. (laughs) (laughs) It's Justin Roiland, right, from Rick and Morty. It's okay. The pencils ones, oh, they were just dying. (laughs) Yeah, I I hate to say this because I love Rick and Morty, but, ah, God. These cassettes were such a drag to listen through, man. Just like cringe, not funny, trying way too hard. 
And it takes almost the whole time. It takes about 15 minutes to get through all these cassettes as well. Yeah. I get it. It's like one of the kind of the intergalactic cable channels episodes. Spoilers for Rick and Morty, but not really. (laughs) There, There are intergalactic cable adverts in Rick and Morty somewhere. But yeah, it was just, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I, I didn't like it. I hated it. But I had to listen to them all. <laughs> I was like forcing myself to get through them. There's a compulsion to listen to them all. Yeah. I think that's the only downfall to the game, to be honest. It's a free game that they've given us. It's 15 minutes. And honestly, what I think that this game is, is a fantastic advertisement for their other games. Because even as you finish, it says you can visit us at Crows, Crows, Crows. And when you go to the menu... There's quit, and there's quit to Crows, 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 which I went to last night, and yeah, it takes you right to the page of their game descriptions, which is perfect. That's a great way to do an ad. You're going to give me a free 15-minute game that's enjoyable? That's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, and they're producing the Ultra Deluxe Edition of uh, Stanley Parable this year as well, so that's awesome. What's that going to be? They're re-releasing the Stanley Parable onto consoles, but they're also adding about they they reckon it's about half of the original script. So they're adding more endings, more narrator, more stuff, basically. And that comes out in 2019. Well, there goes my five-year <laughs> doing nothing with the achievement. I'm hoping that it loads a totally separate new game. Because if it does require you, to, if it's a mod for the original game, it's like, God, I haven't played that game for two years. and it's, I've, I've only got three years left to wait. <laughs> okay, with that, I think... We need to get into the beginner's guide because this is going to take a lot longer to talk about. Yeah. I want to start with the description. Mm -hmm. I think the description is very accurate. And I think this is one thing that more developers, publishers need to realize is making their Steam description accurate to what the game really is. The Beginner's Guide is a narrative video game from Davey Reedon, the creator of The Stanley Parable. It lasts about an hour and a half and has no traditional mechanics, no goals, or objectives. Instead, it tells the story of a person struggling to deal with something they do not understand. Which, I I want to read that because I can't think of a better description of this game than that. That is spot on exactly what you get. And that's part of where these negative reviews about saying it's not really a game, it was a waste of my time. You were warned. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the description. It's not a traditional game. I mean, even, even for me, as someone that usually likes these kinds of games, I was on the fence for a long time about getting this one because A, it was very pricey, and B, uh, I wasn't sure if I'd like... Eh, eh, I like Stanley Parable, of course, but is this for me? I don't know. So could, because the description was good, so I waited for a sale, I got it on a sale, and then, yeah, I really enjoyed it. So, honest description. Yeah. This is a game that very much tries to be in the documentary style. And I think it does that very well. It's obviously not a strict documentary, but I like what they're trying to do there. And there's something about that that I want to talk about at the end. But let's get into it. Mm. Right at the beginning... And here's the part I found really puzzling, especially the first time. Davy Reedon introduces himself as himself. He is the narrator, correct? Yeah. I don't know if, it's the, if that's the actual guy, but I mean, it's how... I don't know if that's his voice or if he's got an actor to do it, but... But that's how he's introduced. Okay, yeah. let's just assume it's him. The game is devoted to a friend of his, Coda, 
who from 2008 to 2011 made a series of games, and that's what Davey wants to talk about. He talks about meeting Coda in 2009 when he was going through some personal struggles. Chapter by chapter, we're going to get a new game, essentially. So the opening, which I think is not even considered a chapter, is probably like the the prologue, is basically just a Counter-Strike level, which he describes as a basic desert town, but with random color blobs and impossible cubes. There's not really much, but he says this is where it all begins. According to Davey, he says this shows that it was actually made by a human and he wants to use the art to discover the artist. That's essentially the premise of this whole story. He talks about Coda making all these games but never released them. They just sat on his computer and he kept making games nonstop. And then in 2011, he did stop. But why? So this is the main question that he wants to ask. And he hopes that this collection will inspire Coda to create again. And in fact, he encourages the players to write in if they have any other kind of interpretations or ideas and puts a Gmail account right there, which is interesting. Did you email it? I didn't. Did you? No. I should have. (laughs) Maybe I will when we're about to upload this (laughs) episode. Chapter one is November 2008. And this is essentially what is the first game we get. There's a game called Whisper. It's an FPS game where there are alarms going off and there's signs everywhere saying you need to evacuate. You walk through, it's a very basic looking level and you have a gun and even Davey talks about the fact that once you unload the clip, there's no way to reload it. There's nothing to shoot at. It all leads to the end, which is basically this beam and a voice tells you that the only way to save everyone is for you to sacrifice yourself and go into the beam you step in and then the camera goes sideways and you're dead very half-life yeah but davy reed in here has told us that this is not how the game actually worked there was a bug and to what he has done is he's essentially fixed the game to show us what it should look like. This is the first time that I get the impression that Davy, as narrator is an unreliable narrator. I didn't get this the first time through because his name was in the description because I knew this was a real person. When you get to the end of the game, you have to jump into the beam in order to save everyone. The camera goes sideways. You are dead. That's the way that Davy Reedon as the narrator says the game was supposed to end. He's fixed it so it did that. Originally, he said there was a bug, and this bug would make you just kind of ascend above the level and be able to see it. The very fact that he's quote-unquote fixed it for us already is the first indicator that he is an unreliable narrator. Well, that also with the fact that he skipped the maze part. is like, oh, this isn't important. Like, just we'll, we'll skip this part. Like, no, I wanted to do the maze. Why did you take that away from me? That was where I was like, ah, that's not cool, man. Yeah, but that didn't, to me, make him unreliable. That just skipped to the part of the story that he wanted. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. Yeah, he's, he's, he's removing stuff from us to experience because he doesn't deem it important enough. Yeah, but at the same time, I would argue that pretty much any sort of filmmaker, storyteller for pacing would probably want to do that. So I'm not really worried about that. But he does, he does it consistently throughout the game. He does. But it's this part that, to me, not the first time through, 
Because as he introduced himself as a real person talking about this friend he had, when I played it through the first time, for the most part, I thought it was being genuine and it's played off as being genuine. So I wouldn't have known otherwise. It's going through the second time that I go, wait, already? Already he was doing this? And I didn't didn't even notice it the first time. Keep in mind, too, this is the first type of game like this I think I've ever played. It may be the only one that's quite like this. I'd like to see more documentary games. I love I love it when, especially in a lot of source games where they have the director's commentary nodes. I love playing through those games and just listening to what the developers have to say and talking about the game. But to actually play a game that is a documentary is, yeah, pretty incredible. I'd love to see it done again. In a genuine way, I think, from now yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you can pull this off twice. No, no. But it's at this point that I do wonder, was it a bug? Or was this Coda's intention from the beginning, that he wanted that to happen? Yeah. There's also a great bit where the narrator says, oh, I love this bit. You can actually see the bottom of the universe, which is just this big white square. square. Yeah. But I think that there's something to that because throughout this game that we are playing, we are seeing the game for what it is. We aren't being immersed. We are never, I feel like, being immersed into the games themselves. We're only immersed into the documentary of the games, which is very different Mm -hmm. than the way I normally would approach a game. Yeah. Chapter two, backwards. You have to walk backwards the whole time. And as you walk backwards, there are notes that appear and change. They say things like, the past was behind her, but the future could not be seen. And it's just this really quick storytelling mechanic done through, you know, us having to walk backwards. And that's kind of it. Yeah. It's simple. I liked it. I did too, actually. Mm. And I suspect in my mind that some of these things were ideas that perhaps Davy Reedon himself actually had and went, well, that's too short. That's not something you could really make a big game out of. Yeah. And then went, well, wait, what, what if I put all these small ideas together and make something bigger? And I, my suspicion is that's what the beginner's guide is. Yeah, I would agree. Chapter three is the shortest game ever oh, the, yeah. I just, called I just, Entering. The Dark Level. Yeah. You're basically walking on a gravel path with a circle of light around you to see the path. And you walk up and you see a sign that says, I think you are now entering. You are now entering. Yep. And that's it. End of game. (laughs) Chapter four, stairs. This is where he starts putting weird title cards at the beginning of the game. And this one said, nonsense in nearly every direction. And as you look around, you see, it's just the most basic buildings. Yeah, just black rectangles. Yeah. Were they black? I thought it was all or white. Gray, gray, were they gray? Something yeah. like that. With one gigantic staircase. So you know that you have to go up the giant staircase. Did you walk around first or did you just go straight I did. I, did. I walked around a little bit at first, yeah. I think probably the first time I did and the second time, like getting ready for this one, I was just like, I'm just going to go. Cool. I'm going to go. As you're walking up the stairs, you get to a point where all of a sudden your character just stops moving or moves at a snail's pace from then on. Yet... When you hit that point, the door at the top opens. So you almost have to just be willing to push yourself all the way and it would take forever. It would feel so slow. Here's another part where Dave Reedon as narrator has stepped in and says, yeah, that's a bit dumb. Why would you do that? So I've given you a chance to just hit a button and walk at normal speed. So you get up there and inside is this beautiful looking room with all these game ideas. 
Did you read through? Yeah, game yeah, ideas? yeah. I did. I mean, just there's so many of them, but a lot, a lot of them are actually in this game already. Like the the walking backwards one is in there. It's yeah. Some of them were good, good ideas. Some of them maybe not so much. Or like, how could that even be a game? Because the one was, I think you have to stand on an X and stare at a bear for three hours. <laughs> it's not my kind of game. I'd probably play it. You probably would. Chapter five is called Puzzle. And this is going to be important for a lot of things. Ready, set, fish. You walk through a concrete hallway to a door with a lever. And I guess we're in the spoiler section. So, let's go ahead and give away the amazing puzzle. (laughs) You have to use the switch to open the door and then use the switch to close the door before you walk through. And then once you're on the other side, the door that now shuts has another switch on it and you can walk to the other side. The narrator says that this is very important and will come up later and does. But for this point, what he wanted to show us was what's on the outside of the end room. Because you get to the end room, it's kind of still a boring concrete room. There's nothing here. But as he removes the walls, you look out and there's just nothing but staircases all over the place. And what he as narrator says is that in the beginning, or I guess in the previous level, we see a boring outside and an interesting inside. We get just the opposite here. Yeah. But it does seem weird that you would create all this extra stuff that would never be seen. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know that does happen, but this looks like a lot of stuff that was created. Yeah. I like it when that happens in games where you actually glitch through walls and stuff and you can like go outside the map and look down on, or if you fall out of the map and then you look back up as you're falling away and you can see all the levels splayed out in front of you. Of course you do, mister. I want to jump off every tower <laughs> in every game. No, I would rather play the game as it's intended most of the time. But I thought this was an interesting bit in the story, that there is this developer who wants to add all these extra things that we just won't ever see. Yeah, exactly. It's essentially the Easter egg community, right? Mm. People that want these bonus things to find. But I was very curious how he would even know that this even existed. Clearly, as his character in this story, he was playing these games And then also looking at the code. Yeah. And that's why he can also alter the code for us so that it makes it easier for us. Or he's Koda. Okay. Obviously, you've got something cooking. We'll get to that. (laughs) Chapter six is exiting, which is brilliant because it's pretty much the exact same game as entering, except the sign now says you're now exiting. Yeah. This is where I think Davey as a narrator claims that This is showing these games are connected and tries to see the game we just played as the medium area between entering and exiting. Maybe, but they're not really connected, are they? You're walking on a gravel path outside versus this concrete hallway. Yeah. So I'm not sure that I would really buy that. But it's important, I think, for his story that it's there. Yeah. Yeah. Chapter seven is called Down. And the title card says, The Great and Lovely Descent. So, we're essentially just given a white scene with a large brick building. And the building itself is not that great. It has some sort of name on it. Yeah, it's like a restaurant bar kind of thing. There's an interesting point here, though, where he is the narrator, talks about the fact that Coda used an engine. And in using this engine to make the games, it has its 
good qualities and also its limitations. And it's great at building what he referred to as linear boxy shapes, but not much else, which is why most of what is made is very linear and boxy. And I do think this is probably, from a developer standpoint, a very, very good point of saying we can only do as much as the tools were given. And that a lot of times the engine is, though it's great because it means you don't have to build a whole new engine and you can do a whole lot of things, but every engine is going to come with its limitations. Yeah, the Source Engine was what what's used to make Counter-Strike, Half-Life, Portal, all those games. And what he says is pretty poignant, especially in today with like, um, who is it? The guys that make the Frostbite engine, they're having a lot of problems because they're forcing people to use their engine to make games that aren't really suitable to run on those. Like, Frostbite does first-person shooters really well, but they're asking them to make RPGs on them. And they're like, I uh, can't really do that. And they're failing, but they're like, no, we have to use this engine. It's really, gets a bit political at points. So he makes a good point in this part, I, I felt, especially on the second playthrough, given all the recent kind of stuff with Frostbite. Yeah, these engines are good for doing this type of thing, but don't expect them to do magic. And this level is a very boxy, linear level, but it's also awesome because you get to jump off stuff. <laughs> yeah, that to me is the amazing thing because already it's very surreal. This building looks pretty good, but there's nothing around it. There's no background, no anything. Then you walk into the building, you walk into the door and you start walking down the stairs and then you're in a totally different world. Instead of being white, now the entire room is black and there are these just giant floating rectangles that you have to walk on until there's a point where basically with no jump button, you're out of luck and you end up having to fall and you fall down into this concrete stairs area Mm. and you're again in a totally different area. What was interesting about that was you're allowed to jump off of the blocks and fall, but when you get to the spiral staircase, you're not allowed to jump and just fall through the spiral staircase center. There's like a glass wall around it so you're not you can't actually walk off the edge of that. Again, maybe this is me just trying to find details and things that aren't that don't exist, but you're allowed to jump off of the, the, the rectangle platforms and fall through that, like you're skydiving, but then you're forced to walk around the spiral staircase. It's almost like he's saying, oh, just take a moment and look at this. This is really pretty, isn't it? Like trying to absorb this part. But the other stuff, like, yeah, just jump through that and fall. I don't know. It was just, it was, I felt like he was making a point with that. I noticed that there is this invisible wall, but I don't know if, if I interpreted it the same way, but I think that that's fair. You can have that. Because, I mean, why have well, why have it in the first place, you know? Personally, when I saw that, I went, oh, this must be a primitive way of doing the stairs. Right, okay. <laughs> because you can almost see that invisible yeah, wall. Yeah, it's like glass, yeah. So it made me think, oh, well, this must be early stages kind of stairs where this is easier for the developer to see where people can walk. Right. But again, that's just me throwing in my own interpretation. Mm. But this leads to a very important thing, because here is where you walk out to an empty courtyard randomly. So (laughs) in real life, this would be totally subterranean world. Yeah. This what looks like an apartment complex. And in the middle is a lamppost. And this lamppost is apparently in every Coda game from now on. But we'll get to that later. But very, very important. Very important. Next game called Notes. This game is one of the most interesting because it's totally different from anything else I've ever played. We've played games where you can leave notes, right? Talos Talos Principle. Principle. Though how effective those are, we are still 
undecided. I mean, I guess... Um, I saw one of your notes once, and once, that was that about it. the only time we actually made it Because it's such a huge game, you'd have to look all over like where I decided to leave one. Uh, I was thinking about this, like, what other games do this? There was one that I got for, like, a buck, and basically, I can't remember the name of the game, but you just basically, you had to climb a mountain and get to the top, and then, like, reach Nirvana or something like that. But as you went up, you could leave signposts anywhere, and there's all these signposts on the way up saying, like, <laughs> the best one was, like, R.I.P. my one dollar. Because <laughs> it makes nothing to the game apart from leaving notes. The other one is one we both played in is the, the um, okay, we have to edit this. Um, what was the one with the, what was that called? Sisters of the Amniotic Lens. Yeah. The, the space system in that where you can leave notes. They actually shut that game down because people were leaving like really hateful, horrible things on there. What, about how this game was no, no, really but I, I, like Nazis and stuff like that. And, oh, okay. And, like, I mean, I would have left a note about how irritating this game was at that point. But, but I mean, that that was kind of part of their artistic point. Was like it was basically a message in a bottle game, and they eventually shut it down because people were abusing it and leaving really stupid things on there. And that's a great shame. Like, and kudos to the to the developer for actually doing that. Like, you know, that must have been pretty painful to do to remove something that you've created. You can do that in Dark Souls as well. You can leave messages. Oh, I never, never played Dark Souls, but yeah, you can for, for other players. Oh. Which is part of where I was wondering if that was inspiration for this level, because there were some notes saying, don't go any further, you'll die. And then another note saying, uh, ignore all the other notes. These people are crazy. You get some very mixed messages yeah. in the notes. And I was playing Dark Souls far after it was at its peak of popularity. So I was only getting a handful of messages where I imagine when it was really popular, there must have been just messages everywhere <laughs> driving people crazy. But I think that's part of what I love about this level is, again, there's no danger, but I love the tone of the comments. It felt like a real comment section. And they're all by Coda. They're all programmed in by him. Yes, as, as we're told by the narrator. That's brilliant. That would be brilliant if one person could pull this off and make it sound this great. Yeah. And then, and then all the comments at the end, just like in that little squirrel lo looking at Jackson Pollock at the end. <laughs> but I especially like all the notes about, is this game pointless? <laughs> How do I beat the game? Yeah. How do I do this? They're asking for help and they sound genuine, but obviously they're not because yeah. they're manufactured. I think it's a brilliant level for that. The first time through, I went through and I think I tried to read pretty much everything. Yeah, me too. This time, I kind of just pushed through. I knew what I was in for and I didn't really need to see everything. Yeah, I just blasted through them. I, I tried to read them as they popped up, but my eyes couldn't catch up. Davey, as a narrator, says that this shows how lonely Coda was, that he was trying to have a conversation with himself in a way. He also hypothesizes that the door puzzle represents the closing of a door and an old idea and the space between the old idea and the new idea. <laughs> and that once you get to the new idea, you have to leave the old idea behind. Yeah, I wrote down here, it's like, Davey is uh, totally filling in the gaps here. Is this what I sound like? Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is very much him filling in the gaps. And I think he's wrong, right? Especially... The second time through, there's a part of me that just goes, I, I don't think that's what it means. Particularly as we go through and we see 
so many ideas repeated. It's not necessarily that he's closing the door on an old idea because he often brings some of the old stuff into a newer game. Hmm. So I don't, I don't buy that at all. Yeah. Chapter nine called Escape. So this is a whole chapter about what Davy as the narrator tells us are a series of prison games. So in the very first one, you're in a room. You can see the outside, but you can't get outside. There's Ikea-like furniture in the room. You walk through the only door, and you end up at the bottom of a well. You're sealed in there. End of game. Yep. That's it. Version two, you see the outlines of the furniture. You're asked for choices, but the choices mean nothing. Because no matter what you say, it just makes the same room that you saw before. Once you finish it, the wall moves just to reveal stacks and stacks <laughs> of furniture. It's a bit crazy. Version three is empty whiteness. And you walk to the room you're in before. You're told steps to escape any prison. And then you're put back in the room. But you can't escape because they've taken away the table. The one thing yeah. that you needed to be able to escape. Well, it's, it's the first step. Yeah. And this leads into the narrator talking a lot about this, about games needing to be playable. And this seems like it's not playable. What's the point of this? Version four, there's no bars, but you can't get to the well because now there's a huge gap between where you're walking and where the well is. Version five reverses the outside and the inside. And then he just decides to blink through a whole bunch of different versions, prison after prison after prison. Sometimes the furniture is on the ceiling. Just everything yeah. is different. And it's at this point, the second time through, that he discusses the idea that this was a time he should have stopped. Why was he so obsessed with these prison games? They weren't working. Why did he keep pushing through? And to me, this is very representative of Davy Reedon as narrator being stuck in this idea of who Coda is and needing to understand him and can't get away from it. So to me, this is the point that represents him as character the most. And this is, I feel, kind of roughly halfway through the game. At least it kind of feels that way. We're fully into the game. We know what's going on. And this is where I feel Davy starts to open up to us. Yeah, I, I felt the same. I wrote down as well, like, we get the idea. Yeah, Coda's depressed. He's talking to himself a lot, like Davy's talking to us. Is Davy Coda? I start to have these kind of ideas now as well. And definitely, this was like a, a second act. This leads to the final version of the prison, where again, we walk to a lamppost, and there's a phone booth there, and you have a conversation, but it's with your past self. And this is a bit mind-blowing. I quite like this concept of talking to your past self and saying, oh, I just got out, or I've been out for years. I mean, you have the choice to say, but... This idea of, oh, I got out. How do I get out? Well, you just have to be open with your feelings. And this whole therapeutic thing, I could see some people writing this and making this work to work through some of their issues. I don't think that's really what's going on here, but I could see how it could be interpreted as that. Chapter 10, house, not the medical drama. <laughs> There's basically a winter setting with a house in front of you. You go in and there's one of these box head guys that says, I think, clean. And you basically just have to help him clean. Everything you do, you're going to end up having to do again. Yep. Oh, can you clean those dishes? Yes. 
Oh, can you fix the rug? Yes. Oh, can you clean those dishes? Yes. Okay. And it's just over and over. Very simple because you don't actually have to do anything. Yeah. There's no mini game. Click on it. Done. And so, man, there's even one bit of dialogue. There's a choice you have to say, are all houses this easy to clean? Yeah. <laughs> According to Davy, this is a time where Coda is at his happiest. He seems content with everything. And the game itself is kind of a happy game. There's nothing to it. It's Although just, it's still another prison to me. It does. Feel, it feels more like a prison to me than the others yeah. because now I have to do chores. Stuck in this endless loop. Yeah. It might as well be called like cleaning purgatory. Yeah. Yeah. But there's, there's a part in this level that kind of, I don't know, bothered me is not the right word. Once you finish that, and then he says, oh, the door's open now at the top of the hill. You can go through it. But you can't wait around in the dark zone because you'll die. Well, of course, I wanted to see what happened when you died. But you don't die. I didn't even know where this dark zone was. I stood in every shadow that I could find for 10 minutes. And nothing happened. I, I could not die. I wanted to see what he was talking about. Because he's like, go to the door up, up on the hill. Don't dilly-dally. You'll die in the dark zone. What was he talking about? Did I miss something? He's talking figuratively. <sighs> well... I'm not I'm not very figurative at that moment. He wasn't talking about literally in the game you will die. Ugh. He was talking about the dark space of creativity that you can't wait too long between <laughs> ideas. <laughs> oh well. Because that's why I pointed out before about this whole analogy of the puzzle and the doors and the space between creative projects and closing the old door. Oh, Jesus, I missed that completely. I was like, yeah, how do you die in this? <laughs> <laughs> Where's the thing I can jump off? But then that takes us to the university lecture, which is fantastic. I love this part of the game, of this level. So in lecture, you're looking at the professor. You can't do anything. You can look around, kind of, well, kind one, of. a 180. You get teleported from seat to seat, getting yeah. closer and closer until you actually are the professor. And then you're looking at this black hole in the background. <laughs> Just the end of the world going on in the background. This is a part where... I really feel like the narrator was necessary. And in fact, through most of this, I think the narrator is necessary. If this was left as just an empty game that I was playing through, I'd be kind of irritated, to be uh, honest. Yeah. But having this through story helps. But in this one in particular, I wouldn't have quite understood what was going on. Because as Davy explains to us, we are the student first. And we're looking at this professor who says everything is perfect. And everybody can be perfect. And then we leap into being the professor, which I wouldn't have understood. I totally would have missed that and went, I don't know what's going on. Because I was leaping around before. Yeah. So I would have thought, oh, I've just leaped to the front of the room now. I have no idea what's going on. But the dialogue choices have always one highlighted option, which is what the professor should say about how great things are. And two, that are what he's actually thinking and how paranoid he is and self-conscious and worried like all that anxiety. And I love the idea of in the back of the classroom, there's just this black hole that you're worried will suck you in. And all the screams and stuff, yeah. So that, I think it's great as a game. It's not interesting, but as part of the story, it is. Chapter 12, theater. You start off backstage, interestingly enough. Yeah. <laughs> backstage. And you follow signs to the stage. The lights flash on. We are told that we are playing as me, which, like, the director is saying you're playing me. Is this Coda? I mean, we're told it's Coda, mm -hmm. right? We're meant to talk to this animal photographer and try to get advice from her, but nothing we say is right. The director just keeps telling us we're wrong. These 
cones appear that you can bounce off and it makes a funny noise yeah to help make us feel more in the mood <laughs> of the scene or something yep and then the director takes away everything and says take a step back and the step back is a mile back <laughs> yeah. and as you're walking all these fence walls essentially block off your return so mm. you are stuck just exiting yeah now, Davey interprets this as Coda starting to wall himself off from the world and to take himself further and further away. How did you interpret it? Uh, I didn't really give this a lot of thought because I'd already formed an opinion by this point on that, as far as I'm concerned, Davey is Coda. And so this is his way of, I mean, we could probably discuss that more in the end. But yeah. no, no, I saw it, yeah, as just as what he said, because I think Davey's most honest with us when he's talking about these kind of depressing moments. And he seemed most accurate when he's talking about these parts. So I do fully trust him at this point. Like, See, I wasn't sure. To me, I still thought, oh, I don't know that that means anything. Yeah, because otherwise, how would you know? It's like, throughout the whole game, he's like, oh, this is how he was feeling at this point. Like, what, are you a therapist? I took it the first time through as... They were friends. They were friends. Close friends, yeah. And so this is him being closed off. He knows at the time that his friend was being closed off, and so he's interpreting it. That in the game. Yeah. yeah. And so I took that at face value, and I was okay with it. The second time through, though, I'm very much questioning Davy as narrator. Yeah, for sure. Reliable at all. And this game could mean totally something different. It could be just saying, don't read the comments. Right. Don't listen to all the negativity coming out of your way, and just keep creating. Build a barrier between you and this evil director who's telling you you're not good enough and just keep working. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a positive thing. It's just getting away from that external validation. And the thing is, that's such a key to the story. So it could mean, and again, all of my theory here is just filling in the gaps, but it could very much mean that Coda as the character is just ready to get away from the external validation, doesn't need it, and this game represents that. Mm. If we even want to interpret that at all, I have a real problem with this whole argument of looking at the art to discover the artist. But right. I, I suppose that's that's probably better left I think, for the I end. think what you said, though, it makes sense. Yeah. Chapter 13. Mobius. Yeah. The SS Whisper. To play this game, it says play it blindfolded, <laughs> which obviously you can't play blindfolded. And everybody on the ship is going, oh, I'm blind, I'm blind. And you basically just have to walk through, go on an elevator, get to the top level, walk to the other side, and then start to speak some truth. Yeah. So you have to make some dialogue choices here to basically admit your insecurities. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to crash into a giant door. Yeah. That same (laughs) giant door again. And it's at this point that Davey said he was very, very concerned. And he said that there's a lot of things that he was feeling about his friend at this point. This leads into chapter 14 called Island, which is designed to, you know, as you speak truths, more islands become available. So the more truth you speak, the more you get to see. It's very much more self-indulgent. It's just all talking about creativity and I feel stuck and I don't know what to do. I don't seem to have the machine that got me through anymore. And this machine starts to represent itself in the games. And Davey also says, this is worse. Why Keep creating when you felt trapped. And this is something he hated to watch Coda suffer through. And the only way to win this game at the end with the crazy walls of comments is to say creating is easy. Yeah. 
all the while you're hearing crying in the background and you are left at the end seeing the prison game. So again, bringing back the idea from before and there's a woman sitting in the prison and crying. Yeah, the end. Very happy. (laughs) (laughs) And again, this is another time where I feel like Davy is saying that's what this means and I could totally see that version of it, but this could just be Coda saying creation isn't easy. Yeah, and and that's where the game kind of like starts to talk about. For me, it's looking into the relationship between three people. It's looking between the developer, the end user, customer, and the actual publishers, like the ones that are expecting all the money, and they're expecting you just to continue to be creative. Like, oh, you you did it before, you can do it again. And like, because we've been hearing a lot of news recently about massive burnouts and people going through crunch at big developer studios and stuff, and just like being put through the ringer, man, like coming out of there with stress and trauma, you know, from working 120 hour work weeks, you know, it's like they're basically trying to commercialize creativity. And that's what I took away from this level. Chapter 15 is called The Machine. You as a female character meet a guard, you find out that they've got the machine, you have to walk past the press, you try to talk to the machine, the machine won't help you. So you talk badly to the press about it. And then you get the gun from Whisper, the very first... (laughs) actual game and you I I think you get the choice between destroying the machine or destroying all the previous levels so I destroyed some previous levels. So did I. Davies says this shows that the work is now self-destructive and he thought feedback from others would help so he started to share the games with others and the other people liked them and this validation is something that Davy admits he needs constantly. Yes. External validation which is probably the most open and honest he is about anything in the whole game, I think. This leads to our final game called The Tower. Davy describes The Tower as a cold game disting itself from the world. Kind of, kind of not. It definitely has a cold look to it. Yeah. Huge gray looming towers in a huge black abyss. <laughs> and you have to climb these stairs constantly to get to the top. We are given an invisible maze, which did you try it at all? The invisible maze. Yeah, I did, but I'm pretty sure. I'm not, maybe there's a way to get through it, but I couldn't find it. I wonder. It's one thing that I would kind of like to look up and see if somebody's found a way through it. My guess is there must be. Mm. But every time you hit an invisible wall, a very loud, annoying sound happens, and you get sent back to the beginning. I mean, this reminds me of very, very old Labyrinth games from Nintendo era and even even beyond, <laughs> like yeah. going back to very small PC maze games would do these weird, stupid things, and it's why you couldn't stand playing it for very long. To help us out, Davey gives us a bridge to go over it. Which is lifted, that must be cut and paste right out of the Stanley Parable. It was even the same numbers on the boards, like when you go into the, the unfinished section of Stanley Parable. It's lifted directly from there, it was brilliant, I loved it. <laughs> this takes us to a six-digit code that we're told you have to guess at random. Again, from Stanley Parable, the, the like meter thing in one of the secret levels, or one of the secret endings. Was it the same number? 15, 16, 17? Maybe it is. I didn't check that out, but I was like, oh, that's from that's definitely from the Stanley Parable too. We're given the number. Though, did you try entering a wrong number? I tried it. You can definitely move the digits around, but you can't press the button. Or at least I, I couldn't press the button. I'm pretty sure that on the last digit, I had it wrong, and I somehow accidentally got through it too. So maybe it's just a a glitch, maybe a bug at the moment. But I did wonder, like, oh, could I have just gotten through just by hitting the switch? But apparently not. Okay. This leads us to 
a door with a switch on the wrong side. So there's absolutely, if you made it through those first two, you get to this one and there's just no way to win. Yeah. Unless you're Davy and you know the code and you fix it. Yep. Now in his head, he said that this is totally cutting himself off. Coda was totally cutting himself off from the world and hiding himself away. And he says that he begged Coda for years to explain the meaning of his games and the three dots, but he wouldn't do it. And he says, if I could just figure this out, I could be happy. I needed to see myself in someone else. Where did I screw up? Am I the reason you quit? And at the top of the tower, we start to see notes to Davy from Coda. So we're, we're at the end. Let's start to talk about the end. For me, there are a few things I would like to talk about. One, documentary. Seeing this as a documentary, no, it's not a documentary in the strictest sense because I'm pretty sure it's all fiction. You saying Coda and Davy are the same person is probably in real life the truth, but I don't think so. Okay. I mean, I don't think Coda's a real person. I think Davy Reed made this game and made everything in it, but... I don't think that within the story, they're supposed to be the same person. I don't understand why we would be getting these notes otherwise. Okay. Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, the, the really standout thing is when you, when you see that note, stop adding lampposts to my game. Yes. Which means he's either a liar or this is entirely made up. Yeah. It makes it out like Davy's a stalker almost. I think that some of those notes are meant to be are real notes from other people that aren't Coda. Or or they're, they're again, they're notes to himself. Throughout the whole game, he's been him. This is my theory. He's been himself the entire game. He is Coda. He made these games as a, being a creative person. He kind of got burnt out and his kind of regular self came through. Coda kind of died and he wants to get Coda back because Coda is like the creative part of his self and he's trying to recapture that flame that's really difficult to get back again and yeah he went through a big stage of depression and it's reflected in these games it's almost like the guy who says like oh i've got a friend who is like really depressed and stuff like what advice should i tell him it's like no he's obviously talking about himself this entire game to me i don't feel that Mm. i think within this game i mean i think that that's a valid interpretation my interpretation is that it is meant to be this faux documentary that we're meant to believe that Coda is a separate person and that Davy is more an obsessive personality with his friend who may not even be really his friend. He's just this acquaintance who helps talk about games and show him some games. Because I don't think that these notes, I wouldn't put these notes to myself. It feels weird. Clearly, it is a faux documentary because if this was Davy's message was to talk about Coda and how Coda is, he wouldn't actually put these notes about himself in here and how terrible he's been to Coda. That wouldn't be in there. But this is where documentary comes in is the fact that, and, and this is one of the things that I don't like about documentary is that despite the reality they are using, they are always creating their own story. And I feel Too often, people treat documentary as though it is news. There are facts in there, but they're always used to tell a story. Yeah, there's always a narrative behind the documentary, for sure. And that can be very, very important, and we can need that. But we also have to realize that in some way, most documentaries also have a hint of fiction to them. And it depends on who is telling the story and how they're telling the story. And I think that that is shown very, very well in this game, particularly when we have the curtain moved 
and we see who Davy is at this point in the tower, and we see all these notes that have been left for him. Stop trying to add lampposts. Stop trying to find meaning where there isn't any meaning. You need something that I can't fill. Leave me alone. Yeah. I would love it if there was a solution to these games, but there's not. And there was a great one, too, about saying, I'm not depressed. I'm just stuck. It's just part of the creative process. Why can you not understand that? And it ends by saying, I hope you do find a solution, but if you do, don't tell me. Yeah. I, I want to have nothing to do with you. And this leads into him stepping into the last puzzle door, but this time there's no way to escape. Which to me, I don't know why I wrote this down, but that whole thing is, I just wrote down Croft Manor. <laughs> like, it looks like the Croft Manor from Tomb Raider. <laughs> the more important thing, I think, is that symbolically we are stuck in this room, just as Davy is stuck in his obsession with Coda. And that's, again, why I'm not sure that I would believe I would be so obsessed with this part of me as I would an entirely separate entity. Oh, man. I mean, if you were a highly creative person and then one day you just got the block big time, you would kill to get it back. Like, I can, I could see it being worse than actually being a real person. I don't know. I, it doesn't work for me. It, like I said, you can have that theory, but it doesn't work for me. But I think that this being trapped and the walls closing in, this is probably one of the best uses of symbolism, definitely in the game and, it, and probably of anything similar. And this is where you almost need to be in this medium. You need to be in the game to feel this kind of trapped because in a movie you're trapped, but you can stop it. You can leave. In the game, you might try to find a way out, but there is no way out. At this point, if you are immersed at all, you realize how trapped you are. This leads to our epilogue where you kind of walk through a train station, you walk through a train, you walk through a garden into a mansion, and it leads to a very long hallway which leads you to the whisper beam from the very beginning. And the only way to end the game is to sacrifice yourself. And as before, when you step into the beam, you're elevated above. And now instead of seeing a tiny maze, you're seeing a labyrinth that fills the entire screen outside of space and sunset on the horizon. Yeah. It's a beautiful way to finish the game. And that's the end. I mean, there... There's a part in there where Davy says he has a lot of work to do and he essentially deserts the player in the desert. Yeah. <laughs> and and that, that's kind of it. You end with this labyrinth scene. There's a tribute note for R. Oh, I don't know who that is. Yeah, that was the thing. I, I was wondering about that. Like, I, I wondered two things. One is, who is R? And the second one is, why is it called the Beginner's Guide? Like, do you have something? I didn't really give I'm, it. I'm just making sure I didn't. Miss I didn't else. give it too much thought, but I should have. But I mean, I had other, you know, uh, fish to fry. But I was like, I just made a note of it. Why is it called the Beginner's Guide? The Beginner's Guide to what? Game making, game development. That would be my guess, and possibly just creative process in general. Mm -hmm. I think there is something to be said here for the idea of like what you were saying: people who are blocked, people who are stuck. But I think even people who are just starting out and not sure how to go about things, they're a lot of times looking for this external validation. They need to know that what they're doing has value. And you see this in, you know, Facebook groups, you see this in Reddit threads, you see this in pretty much any kind of creative forum where people are saying, but how do you do this? How do you do this? And they want to know, and they also want people 
there's this kind of dichotomy of wanting people desperately to see something and validate and say it's good and not ever wanting to show it at all. And I think that I would say the beginner's guide is trying to show developers, but pretty much anybody in the creative process that you need to find validation from within. And this needs to be the first step. This needs to be one of the earliest things that you do. I think also it shows that, you know, like with the prison level, that you may have to try many times to find something that you like, that you may have to try many things that may not all be great until you find something that you like and that you think is good. Yeah, I mean, that, that's why, I, again, if they're the same person, Davy is the kind of insecure, I need validation person. Coda is more the don't get it right, get it written person with all these failed kind of like walking through the blackness, the end. It doesn't matter what it is, just be creative, get it done, get it out there, and it doesn't matter about the validation. They're, they're two hemispheres of the same brain, in my opinion. But that's where I wonder, with his last line, he basically says, oh, I've got a lot of work to do, I'm going to have to leave you here, and just disappears. Would you say that that is meaning, I've got work to do, it's time to go get creative, or I've got work to do, I need to go deal with my mental health? Probably both, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I even wrote down here, I wrote down, Coda is Davy, maybe backwards. Davy is Coda, and we are Davy. Um, we're the ones that want him to keep continuing, just like, you know, like your favorite game, you know, you don't want it to end. Or, you know, when is the next? I waited so long for uh, the Oberdin to come out after Papers, Please. You know, it's like, so much pressure must be on Lucas Pope to be, like, he's a prime example of this. Like, everyone is waiting for his third game, you know, and like, it's going to have to be absolutely mind-bogglingly amazing. That's a lot of pressure, man. It's like coming from Papers, Please to the Oberdin to whatever is coming next, which could be another 10 years away. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure on you to, to be creative. And it's not something you can just dig into a pocket and pull out of thin air. But yeah, I get, I get the feeling there's a lot of metaphors in there. Like, yeah, Coda's Davy and then we're Davy in a sense. Like everything shifted off to the left. And then at the end, Coda is just saying, okay, I'm off. Bye. Which is to me why it's meant to be a different person. But I think that this is just something you and I are always going to disagree on. So yeah. I'm ready to just leave it there. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about other games that are like this, but I wrote them down, but now I can't really say what they are because massive spoilers. It's like, this is the kind of game where you can't even say like, oh, if you like this, you should play this one. Because then in saying that, you're ruining that next game. I wrote down a couple here. I suffer through this where I want to give recommendations yeah. based on this. But if you give it right away, then they know it's almost the same thing or the same theme or the same concept. So, exactly. Yeah. So sorry. If you want a recommendation, you can... We'll, we'll give <laughs> random recommendations at some later date. Yeah. <laughs> gaps filled the more gaps created. <laughs> hey, I wrote, if we were Davy, then someone is us. Didn't really think that one through, did I? <laughs>